really, when you think about it, if you're a CEO, your tool in many ways is your voice. And suddenly I was having a really difficult time speaking. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learned how they navigated their way back. If all great changes are preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Welcome to the Maine Biz Podcast Series. This is The Day That Changed Everything. I'm Donna Broussard, and I'm here today with Kevin Hancock, the CEO of Hancock Lumber. Welcome, Kevin. Donna, hello. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. So today, Kevin's going to share his story about the day that changed everything. And it's a very interesting story and very inspirational story, I might say. So first of all, before we start, let's tell people a little bit about Hancock Lumber. Kevin, can you tell us what the company does and how big you are and where you're located? Sure, yes. Our company is located in Casco, headquartered in Casco, out in the on the western edge of Cumberland County. And we are a seventh generation family business. So our company goes back to 1848, before the first cannonball was fired in the Civil War. And uh, the company's been in the same business, owned by the same family, doing essentially the same things uninterrupted ever since we're um, an integrated company in the forest products industry so we own timberland and we grow trees here in southern maine and then we have three eastern white pine sawmills across maine one in casco bethel and pittsfield and we manufacture pine boards that we ship all over the world. And then at Maine and New Hampshire, we have a series of lumber yards that sell a full line of building materials to contractors and homeowners. And we have 550 people who are a part of our team who work at the company. That's awesome. So at the time that we get to the day that changed everything, obviously Hancock Lumber has gone through depression, wars, recessions, etc. in its long history and has been sustained all through that. And when you became CEO as sixth generation, you were leading the team. You led the team through the recession in 2008-2009, correct? Yeah, correct. Well, most everyone probably remembers well the national housing and mortgage market collapsed during that period. And if you were in the construction industry or the construction supply industry or the 
lumber industry. You remember it super well. In a three-year period from 2007 to 2009, housing starts in southern Maine fell by 66%, and our sales in 36 months fell by 50%. So they were cut in half, essentially without losing customer. We were working with all the same builders before and after. The market had just gotten that much smaller that quickly. Right. And despite that, you guys were able to persevere and come out on the other side. So that wasn't the day that changed everything for you. You were able to manage your way through that just as you had for other sort of challenges that Hancock Lumber have had to battle over the years. But then something really personal happened for you in 2010. Yes, correct. And really, I would say, Donna, in hindsight, was in part the result of what happened with the economy from 2007 through 2009. That was a super difficult period for customers in our industry, employees in our industry. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was really, really stressful for me. I felt a lot of responsibility to try to find the best possible path for the maximum number of people through that period. You had had over 400 employees that you were caretaking. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. So anyway, at the end of that period, unconnected to me at the time, but I'm connecting it now, I began to have trouble speaking, something I'd always taken for granted, never thought about, and as a CEO done a lot of, really, when you think about it, if you're a CEO, your tool, in many ways, is your voice. And suddenly I was having a really difficult time speaking. When I went to talk, all the muscles in my throat would kind of spasm and squeeze and contract. And my voice got very broken and choppy and hard to hear. And and long story short, I couldn't really say very much. I ended up going to a doctor and then another doctor and this took about a year, but I was ultimately diagnosed with a very rare neurological voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia, which affects only speech. Perhaps 20,000 people in North America have it, and it has uh, no real known cause and no known cure. So there I was as a CEO trying to figure out how I was going to do my job without really being able to use my voice. And so what did you do? Well, at first, I just fought through it because at the beginning, the economy was still really difficult. And I kind of did what Mainers do. I just dug in and competed. and But it was hard. And then as I started thinking about my future, it really started to scare me a bit because I didn't 
quite know if I was going to even be able to continue to do my job. I laugh about this now, Donna, but I said at the time, what possible good could a CEO be who can't talk all the time? <laughs> I, I hear that because <laughs> they do like to talk to those CEOs, don't they? So it's uh, here's what happened to me in a nutshell. When it's hard to talk you pretty quickly develop strategies for doing less of it. And my primary strategy was to answer a question with a question, thereby putting the conversation right back on the other person. Mm -hmm. So someone would come up to me at work because I was the CEO or the boss or a manager with a question or a problem. And I started simply saying, geez, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? <laughs> and that person would then give their answer and perspective. And generally, then I followed up by saying, okay, that sounds good. Let's go do that. And off that employee would go with his or her solution to the problem that he or she had identified. And while initially this was simply an exercise that I invented to protect my voice, over time, something really struck me that made me think completely differently about leadership. And that was this people already knew what to do. So the answers people were giving were amazing. They were fantastic. They were better than the answers I would have given. They already knew what to do. All they really needed was some encouragement and a safe work culture where they knew they could and should trust their own voice. Right. So that's what got me really um, thinking about a new approach to leadership that dispersed power instead of collected it, that pushed power out from the center. And I really started to see my own voice condition actually as a bit of a gift and an opportunity and an invitation to lead differently in a way that strengthened the voices of others. And in summary, I got really caught up with this idea of, well, what if everybody led? What if Hancock Lumber had 550 leaders, all of our employees, who collectively together were the voice of the company? Wouldn't that make for a more dynamic work environment, wouldn't that produce better business results? But most importantly, wouldn't that be more meaningful and exciting and engaging for the people who worked here? That's a really good philosophy. And we're going to find out how that worked for you. After we come back from the short break, we want to hear from our sponsors. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. 
Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank and may lose value. It seems so obvious to me that if you can create a culture where everybody's leading, that the odds are high that company will outperform an alternative version of itself, a more traditional one. Welcome back. It's Donna Broussard here with Kevin Hancock, talking about the day that changed everything for him after losing his voice and coming up with coping skills. He discovered a new way of leadership. And so how did that philosophy work, Kevin, when you put that into practice? Well, here's the exciting thing, Donna. It ended up working really, really well. So the performance of our company, which had been good before, you know, solid, good, but it over time started to become great. We were improving in every area of the business that we cared about at a really rapid rate, whether it was safety or accuracy or efficiency or customer experience that the company's performance really took off. Now, in hindsight, it seems so obvious to me that if you can create a culture where everybody's leading, that the odds are high that company will outperform an alternative version of itself, a more traditional one, where just a few people are leading in, in a more hierarchical, top-down uh, manner. So it makes perfect sense to me now, but um, I really never would have guessed how that change in approach, how strong an impact it would have had on the performance of the of the company. So that's exciting. And now you've gotten through that bad time and you're in the good time and you've grown the company and the company's financially successful and moving forward and developing new new processes, I believe, and, and new products as you grow. Sure. And yeah, a lot of that of came that. from a lot of that came from ideas from staff, not necessarily top down. Right. Exactly. The idea is to put more power and control in the hands of people on the very front line of the business who are doing the work and who know their area of the business best. So in that approach, management's job really becomes a function of learning how to listen and making it safe for people to say what they actually think. My biggest wish now for any organization would be that, that it is safe for people to say what they think. I call getting to that point the answers to the test, that when you get to the point where employees will say what they actually think, they know what makes the company great and they know where the company is weak or vulnerable or could improve and they will bring you right to the opportunities and they will identify the solutions and really in that approach management becomes purely a function of listening listening the right way to the people who are doing the work right and so how are you kevin how are you feeling how what have you done to take care of yourself through this transition 
well, my voice has gotten a lot better. I mean, anyone listening to me can tell my voice is a bit unique or it sounds different. But to put it in perspective, four, five years ago, if you invited me to do this talk with you, I would have had to say no, because I wouldn't have been able to do it. And the job of being CEO has become so much more rewarding and so much more relaxing. I've kind of worked myself out of a job, Donna. There's not very much for me to do on a typical basis. <laughs> we won't basis. tell anybody that, Kevin. We'll <laughs> just keep it between us. Because everybody, you know, when everybody leaves, the load gets lighter for everybody. And I think if you back up to when I acquired my voice condition, during that difficult economic time, I was trying internally to carry the company on my shoulders, which was never actually necessary or even optimal, but that's how I was internalizing it. And that pressure or burden that I put on myself, I'm certain is what triggered my voice condition. So I've come to see my voice condition as a gift and an invitation to change that I was fortunate enough to pick up on and double down on and take advantage of. Great. So we're going to take another quick break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the book that Kevin wrote from this experience called The Seventh Power. We'll be right back. Remember why you went into business? You can say to fulfill a dream or change the world, but I'll bet the real reason you went into business was to make money. So how are you doing? And would you like to do better? Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications has been helping Maine businesses better do what they were built to do, make money by reaching audiences, catching eyes and ears, and helping them make the sale. Worth a phone call? Find Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications online at sutherlandweston.com. Leaders have done more to limit, restrict, intimidate, or direct the voices of others than to free them. Welcome back to The Day That Changed Everything. It's Donna Broussard here with Kevin Hancock, and we've talked about his experience of losing his voice and finding a new way of communicating and finding a new leadership philosophy within the company at Hancock Lumber that has led to their multiple successes. And from this experience, Kevin, you gained some new insight that you felt you wanted to share and you wrote a book. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, I will. I need to quickly add one other event that came into my life that created the foundation for the book. Around 2012, I started traveling out to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which is one of the biggest, poorest, and most remote of all the Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. And there, and this is the connection, I encountered an entire community that felt like it had lost its voice that felt marginalized, pushed to the side, and not fully heard. And putting my own condition together with their situation, I kept thinking that there are lots of ways for people to kind of lose their voice in this world or a piece of their voice. 
And the, unfortunately, probably across time, leaders have done more to limit, restrict, intimidate, or direct the voices of others than to free them, whether it was at a company or on a on an Indian reservation uh, out west. So when I put all of that together, it really got me thinking about a new, fresh approach to leadership that strengthened the voices of others. And having applied that approach to our own company, I really got thinking about trying to share some of those ideas more broadly, which became the basis of my book, which is titled The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. So the seventh power is a Lakota or suit term for the individual spirit, celebrating and honoring the power of the individual spirit. So say, for example, it reminds me of Rudyard Kipling's iconic line, the strength of the pack is the wolf. And the idea that if every individual feels trusted, respected, valued, and heard, then the tribe as a whole or the company as a whole will be successful. So the book is a, a bit of a travel adventure. It begins actually on the Navajo reservation in Arizona, and it ends up in Kiev in the Ukraine. And, and I make seven stops over the course of a couple of years where I pick up what I, what I believe or feel are seven kind of critical lessons for ushering in the age of shared leadership. If the past was about leaders collecting power and the future is about distributing that power, we need some new rules or core concepts to make that happen. And that's what the book explores. The book's available uh, as an ebook or an audio book or a traditional book, so you can access it in any format that you like. So what would you say to a CEO out there who's listening to this today? What advice would you give them as a step one to sort of thinking about this kind of leadership philosophy, which may be a complete 180 from what they're thinking and doing right now? Yeah, I would say it would be to revisit the very purpose of work. So in the 21st century, what should the purpose of work be? Traditionally, the place of work has always been about maximizing return or performance for the company or the owners of the company. But I'm really interested in flipping that script and thinking about work differently. I think the purpose of work should be to advance the lives of the people who do it. Work should be meaningful to the people who do it. And if a company focuses on creating an exceptional work experience, one of the outcomes will be the employees will take great care of the company. So this approach will actually improve corporate performance 
but corporate performance now becomes the outcome of a higher calling. The higher calling is to help give everybody in the company a voice and to help everybody in the company feel trusted, respected, valued, and heard. So my advice would be to take a moment and rethink the very mission or core purpose of a company, its reason for existing. And the focus would be on the employee versus necessarily the customer, but by by default, by focusing on the employee, the customer is served. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I love how you said that, Donna. I stood up a few years ago in front of a group of our biggest customers, took a deep breath and said, you know that old saying, the customer comes first. I don't actually believe that's true anymore. Oops. I went on to say, I think the people who are going to take care of the customer should come first. And if a company takes world-class care of the employees, the employees will take world-class care of the customer in return. So now what I like to say, to borrow a little piece of main slang, is that the customer comes a wicked close second. (laughs) (laughs) So the customer is still super important, and we're really into our customers. We love them, and we appreciate them, and we're committed to them, but they don't quite come first. The people who are going to take care of them come first, and this ends up being in the best interest of the customer. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I think that they can't help but be well served when they've got great people work, working with them and waiting on them and helping them to be successful. It's a win-win all around. I, I don't like need to use an old business mo- you know, saying win-win, but it certainly is that way. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your sharing your story about the day that changed everything. We're glad you're feeling well. And we appreciate what you're doing. And I'm sure the 500 plus employees at Hancock Lumber appreciate it as well. Any final thoughts? Just thank you for having me on the program. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. We're delighted to have you. This has been a production of Main Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Main Biz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. The Main Biz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Maureen Milliken, Allison Nason, Andrea Tetzlaff, and Donna Broussard. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. The Main Biz podcast team also thanks Peter Van Allen, Betsy Vanderplug, Ken Hansen for their contributions. Subscribe to the Main Biz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2020.